Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. God, I remember it so well. I just landed at Pearson Airport in Toronto after a long flight from the Far East, and as soon as we left the runway, I turned on my phone. The texts and the emails came one after another. Blam! Gord Downey was dying. Blam! Brain cancer. Something called glioblastoma. Blam! The prognosis wasn't good. The condition was terminal. One year, maybe two, five at best. But that same news conference also announced that the hip was going on tour again, the Man Machine Poem Tour. That turned into a national celebration of all things gourd, all things hip, all things rock, and all things Canadian. Tens of millions of people stopped what they were doing and watched the final show that Saturday night in August. Now, the band never said it would be the last anything, but... I think we all knew that that was the case. Then came a period of denial. Okay, sure, Gord was sick, but we were still seeing him around. A couple of interviews, his Secret Path documentary and album, showing up to receive an order of Canada. So things things were fine, right? Well, they must have been, especially after we heard about a solo album in late September 2017. That was a sure sign that Gord was doing well, right? Well, no. Sessions for that album wrapped up in February. And since then radio silence. Lots of rumors, but no news. Nothing from him, his family, his band, his management, the record label. We knew it was coming, but all we could do was wait. And then on the morning of October 18th, we got the news. Gord was gone. The outpouring of affection and grief was immediate and sustained. Hip music started playing everywhere. We covered his death like other countries might cover the death of a beloved head of state. And as the tributes pour in, I thought we'd have this look back on Gord and the hip and what they meant to us. This is the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Everything is quiet, little super dangerous. The hip's roots go back 30 years. Since then, there's really only been one lineup change among all their studio records, their two live albums, and 50-odd singles. No one knows how many solo Canadian tours they've done. They've been involved in at least two movies. They've been a special musical guest on Saturday Night Live. I count 14 Juno Awards, one induction into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame, one induction into Canada's Walk of Fame, one honorary fellowship from the Royal Conservatory of Music, and one Governor General's Performing Arts Award. At the beginning, the core of the band was Gord Downey and Bobby Baker. They grew up across the street from each other in Kingston, Ontario, and have essentially been friends pretty much from the day that they were born. They were both 13 when they picked up guitars for the first time. The earliest version of the band featured a guy named Davis Manning. He played saxophone, but he had some girlfriend issues and was replaced in 1986 by Paul Langlois, and that was the only, only lineup change. All right, the name. That was stolen from a line in a 1981 video collection of music and comedy by Mike Nesmith, ex of the Monkees. The skit had to do with raising money for poor yuppies to keep them in Lamborghinis and cocaine. They were the so-called tragically hip First gig, Queen's University, Kingston, for the Kingston Artists Association. First recording, not sure. 
first known recording? Well, I found this. It was recorded at a place called Grand Central Station in Ottawa sometime in mid-1987. first proper, official, and authorized hip record was released on December 11th, 1987. It was a self-titled indie EP stocked only by a couple of record stores in Kingston. But still, the damn thing sold 2,000 copies in just a couple of weeks, all locally. Then, in 1989, a big break. And it's weird because they had to go to New York to get discovered by some Canadians. The hip played the CMJ Music Conference in New York. And as was common back in those days, the organizers distributed a CD featuring some highlighted artists to all the delegates. The hip were on that disc. And that's what the Canadian Record People Company heard. When everybody got back to Toronto, it was time to discuss a deal. And after one particularly powerful show at the Horseshoe Tavern on Queen Street, the deal was done. It's a sad The Hip playing live in a beer tent at the CNE in Toronto in August 1989. Since those days, The Hip has played thousands of gigs. The biggest was probably at the Park Pop Festival in Holland, which featured about 450,000. The smallest? Well, there were some very bad nights where they showed up to play and uh, no one was in the bar. So attendance, zero. One night in 1989, they played a place called Jake's in Bloomington, Indiana, and there were just six people in the audience. But the show had to go on. Hip were getting paid, so they had to play. And they turned in a full night's work. And when it was all over, they pushed some tables together with the um, crowd and had a few pitchers of beer together. Then there was the time they were booked to play a place called the Diamond Club in Winnipeg. The deal was for the standard Monday to Saturday stand with three sets a night. But something went wrong, and they were fired after playing just the Monday. But it worked out when word reached other bar owners, the invitations to finish the week at various places started coming in, and the guy who fired them at the Diamond Club has never been able to live that one down. Back then, and we're talking the days of the first album up to here, the hip made about 200 bucks a night, plus maybe a case of beer if they were lucky. Today though, yeah, things are a lot better. To know the Tragically Hip is to know that they're huge hockey fans, and that love for hockey runs a lot deeper than most people know. Forget that everybody in the band has always played. Forget the hockey pools staged by the band and the crew every season. Forget that they're friends with a bunch of NHLers. And you can even forget the song 50 Mission Cap, which tells the story of Bill Barilko, the doomed defenseman from the 1951 Stanley Cup winning Toronto Maple Leafs. Hockey literally runs in the blood of the Tragically Hip. Well, in the veins of Gord Downey, anyway. Think back to the video for Courage from 1992's Fully Completely. Why is Gord wearing a Boston Bruins sweater? That's because his godfather is Harry Sinden, the legendary coach, general manager, and president of the Bruins. He was also the coach for the Canadian team in the 72 Canada-Russia series. 
all makes sense now, doesn't it? The Hip from 92 and their third full album, Fully Completely. Gord Downey's Bruin sweater is a nod to his godfather, Harry Sinden. And this also gives deeper meaning to the lines from the song Fireworks from the Phantom Power album that talks about Paul Henderson's famous goal. If there's a goal that we all remember was back at old 72, we all squeezed the stick and we all pulled the trigger. And before we leave the subject of hockey, let me give you a couple more hip connections. Name the first band to play a concert when the Air Canada Centre opened in Toronto. Tragically hip. The World Container album from 2006 contains a song called Lonely End of the Rink. In Between Evolution includes a song called Heaven is a Better Place Today, which is about Dan Snyder, a member of the Atlanta Thrashers who was killed in a car accident. Finally, let's go back to the title of their second record, Road Apples. What exactly is a road apple? Well, it's a chunk of horse poo. And back in the day, a frozen road apple made for a decent substitute when a puck couldn't be found. Seriously, ask Grandpa. Back with more things about the tragically hip every Canadian should know, including more on the hip's Canadian-ness. In just a sec. You're listening to the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. This is a look back at the career of the tragically hip. Gord is now gone, but the memories of the band will linger for a long, long time. If you asked any random music fan in this country to name the quintessential Canadian band, there's a very good chance that they'll say the tragically hip. This isn't out of any sort of nationalistic pride, necessarily. And it's not just that the hip are from here, but they're one of the few bands who can make references to Canadian things without sounding cheesy about it. Now, let's face it. This is something that a lot of Canadians struggle with. We don't tend to do this kind of thing, toot our own horn. And there are only a few acts that have been able to manage it. You could teach a Canadian history course or a geography course using only Tragically Hip songs. Let me give you a few examples. The full title of the song Courage from Fully Completely is Courage for Hugh McLennan. Hugh was a Canadian author and professor of English at McGill. He did a lot to establish the concept of Canadian identity through novels. You know how we refer to the relationship between Quebec and the rest of Canada as two solitudes? Well, that was the name of McLennan's 1945 novel, Two Solitudes. He also wrote about the 1917 Halifax Explosion. Another novel called The Watch That Ends the Night has a character patterned on Norman Bethune, big hero in China. A passage from that book is used in the hip song, Courage. And, oh, you know who was a student of McLennan's at McGill? Some kid named Leonard Cohen. Wheat Kings refers to David Milgard, a guy convicted of a murder he didn't commit and spent over 20 years in Stony Mountain Penitentiary in Manitoba. Locked in the Trunk of a Car was written from the perspective of Pierre Laporte, the Quebec Deputy Premier and Minister of Labor who was kidnapped and murdered by the FLQ in October of 1970, and his body was found in the trunk of a car. Thompson Girl from Phantom Power, I'm assuming, is about a girl from that northern Manitoba town. Bob Cajun? That's about a town in Ontario. My Music at Work was a slogan used by a Toronto radio station. A song called Silver Jet from In Violet Light name checks Cape Spear, Newfoundland, Northumberland County in Ontario, and Clayquot Sound in BC. Other songs refer to lakes, islands, Niagara Falls, a black Canadian actor named Canada Lee, who was a champion of civil rights in Hollywood specifically, and America at large back in the 1930s. 
This is a song about the Dieppe Raid, an attack on the German-occupied port in France on August 19, 1942. Nearly 4,000 people died, were wounded, or captured. Most of them were Canadian. And really, nothing was accomplished. Many survivors of the attack died in the water while awaiting rescue. It really was a complete nautical disaster. The Hips' World War II epic Nautical Disaster. That was one of two songs they performed on Saturday Night Live on March 27, 1997. And you might wonder how a band that hadn't broken in the U.S. and still hasn't managed to get such a gig. The answer is Dan Aykroyd. Dan is from Kingston. In fact, if you go back to the movie Sneakers with Aykroyd and Robert Redford and Ben Kingsley, Sidney Poitier and River Phoenix in 1992 you'll see Dan wearing a tragically hip t-shirt under a sport coat. Might as well hear that performance, huh? The Tragically Hip, live on Saturday Night Live, March 27th, 1997. This was a huge vehicle for the band, a national U.S. TV audience. Ah, but nothing happened. And nothing has ever really happened much with the American market. In fact, this has become something of an area of study. Why has the Tragically Hip never been able to break through in the States? While this isn't entirely true, the Hip do have pockets of support in America, but unlike uh, Brian Adams or Lannis Morissette or Nickelback, it just seems that their timing was off. Their music was great, but whenever they were hot, American rock and roll attitudes were somewhere else. In the 90s, it was grunge, and the hip are not grunge. Then came hip-hop. Hip didn't belong there. Then it was indie rock and the flavor of the strokes or the white stripes, and, and the hip didn't really fit in there either. But, you know, the hip are hardly alone. Look at a band like Blur or the Stone Roses. They're huge in the UK and Europe, but nothing more than Cultax in the US. But let's step back a little bit and just examine what we're trying to ask. Is it, what's wrong with America? Why don't they like the hip? Is it, what have the hip done wrong or not done to break it in the US? Or should we ask, does it matter that the hip aren't superstars in America? Are we looking for some kind of validation for our tastes and our music? And the more that I've thought about it, the more I think that's the answer. It shouldn't matter. There's no accounting for taste or preference. And there are many American bands that are hugely successful at home that we don't care about up here. It's just how it goes. Transformation from the Hip's 12th studio album and now for Plan A from 2012. Still more Hip stuff coming up. Hang on. Now, back to the ongoing history of new music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. This is a tribute to Gord Downey and a look back at the music of the Tragically Hip. 
If you've ever seen the Tragically Hip live, you'll know that singer Gord Downey can go off on these weird stream of consciousness tangents. These can be very entertaining, but they're also quite useful for writing new songs. For example, Nautical Disaster was born out of one of these tangents. And many of these detours begin in the same place. The long, weird, improvised experimental jam in the middle of New Orleans is sinking. The most famous of all the extended live versions of New Orleans is sinking is the one with the killer whale tank story. It was recorded at the Roxy in Los Angeles in May of 1991, and for years, fans longed to get their hands on this recording, but it was completely unavailable. And that's because it was only available as a bonus track on the longtime running single, and this single was only distributed to radio stations. It wasn't designed to be sold to the public. You can get it now, of course. That's why God made the internet. But you'd hope for it to come out in a proper form one day, wouldn't you? I scrubbed the inside of the killer whale tank. The, and after a while, the boys in the CNS uh, clean and scrub. We just sort of made it one word. The killer whale tank. The killer whale tank. Ooh. The killer whale tank. A few more things on the hit before we call it a day. With domestic record sales somewhere near 6 million, one in five Canadians, or so, has at least one hip record. The band's backstage rider used to be fairly modest. Peanut butter, bread, bottled water, blue Gatorade, some beer. Sure, that's changed. Back when the music industry had all kinds of money to burn, the hip staged their own cross-Canada caravan festival called Another Roadside Attraction. The first one hit the road in 1993, and Matthew Sweet, The Rio Statics, Hot House Flowers, Midnight Oil, Daniel Lanois, World Party, Ziggy Marley, Wilco, and others went along for the ride. Gord Downey studied film when he went to Queen's University. He was a big fan of French directors like Francois Truffaut, which explains some of the hip's videos. Rob Baker and Gord Sinclair are also Queen's graduates. Gord Sinclair is a big fan of wine. In fact, the band was once offered their own wine label by a vineyard in Niagara, but they declined. Uh, they wanted to be more involved in the wine than just lending their name to it and going to the occasional tasting. So, not that time, maybe in the future. The Hip has their own recording studio outside of Kingston called The Bathhouse. Blue Rodeo, Big Wreck, Sarah Harmer, Blackie and the Rodeo Kings, Hayden, the Sadies, Kathleen Edwards, the Trues, the Mahones, and dozens of others have used the place. In 2012, a section of a street in Kingston was renamed Tragically Hip Way. And uh, here's one more. You know the line in Blow at High Doe about shooting a movie in Gord's hometown? Uh, yeah, it never happened. There was no movie. Poetic license. Nothing more. Yeah, I can get behind anything. Back in a moment. More of the ongoing history of new music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. When the Tragically Hip went on that last tour in the summer of 2016, it was an instant and total sellout. When the CBC broadcast that final show in Kingston, the country came to a grinding halt. Officially, 11 million Canadians were said to have tuned in, but that's wrong. I think it's way too low. That figure of 11 million did not take into account all the Canadians who were watching together at house parties, in bars and restaurants, at campgrounds, on docks and around campfires. Was it watched by one in three Canadians? I'd argue the answer is more like one in two, or maybe more. 
people from other countries looked at us and said, seriously, you brought your entire nation to a standstill to watch a rock band play on television on a Saturday night? I mean, seriously? Yes, seriously. It's something that you just wouldn't understand. This was something between the band and 36 million Canadians. Here's something I've been hanging on to ever since I heard the news. It's an old Dr. Seuss thing. He said, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Rest in peace, Gord. Tactical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast at iTunes and through Google Play. 